Wayne, welcome to the protectors. Great to have you on. I love having Marines on, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. There's, there's no former Marines. There's no, I used to be a Marine. There's always veteran Marines. Are you a Marine? So welcome. Thanks, Jason. I'm happy to be here with you. So I say, uh, what's the, is it? Ar- hur- 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 <laughs> oh, there it is. You know, the army is like, hua. I could like, hua, hua, hua. It's like you can make, you have a whole, whole conversation. I'm sure it's the same way with the Marines. Yeah. It means many different things, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you had a, a heck of a career. Was that 23 years in the Marines? Uh, just a little over 20. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I saw 23 somewhere around there, and I was like, oh, man, that's a long time. And I'm like, you're ready to move on, write books, and, and do some business world stuff, uh, especially after multiple tours, brother. Um, Iraq and Afghanistan, right? Yeah, I did uh, five deployments during my career. Uh, it was initially part of the, the initial invasion into Afghanistan back in uh, 2001. So I was deployed on a Navy ship, uh, forward deployed, and then... You know, 9-11 happened. I was in Australia. We got sent from there into, you know, Pakistan and Afghanistan. Uh, came back and my next deployment was the initial invasion into Iraq. And wow. then uh, went back in 2004 to Iraq, uh, 2010 to Afghanistan. And then 2012, uh, did a deployment on a Navy ship, kind of went through the Middle East as well. Yeah, we have the, you know, we're recording this pre 9-11, pre 20 year anniversary. So were you, how long were you in the service before 9-11? I commissioned in December of 97. So a few years. Yeah. So going from the the 90s eras, that's like me, I was 90s enlisted, then officer later on. But going from that like Cold War 90s era into the the GWAT, global war terrorism, that must have been interesting. And that must have been one of the reasons you kind of got into the, uh, telling your story in your book. Yeah, it, uh, it definitely was interesting going from a training environment, uh, you know, nonstop training to uh, multiple deployments, uh, back-to-back deployments. You know, in fact, the first three years of my marriage, I was, I was gone about 18 months at that time. So, <laughs> um, you know, I really, uh, when I got to the end of my career, I started thinking about what I wanted to do post-Marine Corps and, uh, I, I was really interested in, in telling, telling a story, uh, writing a book, and most people start with what they know. And, you know, I'd spent six years working in the, you know, the drone field in the military, and I thought I had an interesting story to tell. Not my personal story, but, you know, the story of the community and, and the challenges that they go through. So, Well, what I found interesting, too, is reading up on it, is you actually participated in the training. And the book we're talking about is On Killing Remotely, The Psychology of Killing with Drones. And I like the words. I like where you got the basis of it off of the original On Killing with uh, Colonel Grossman. I, I love that book back in the day. It, it's a very eye-opening book. And I like that you bring into the fact that it's on killing remotely. It's very misunderstood um, because, like you say, it's a lot of the uh, a lot of the operations are happening stateside, and drone operators are you know coming and going um, from home to an everyday life. Now you went through that training. Can you kind of explain it to us what drone training is like? Is it like a big video game, or is it? It's got to be more technical than that. Well, so I went through the the Air Force's training pipeline as a Marine. Um, the initial portion of the training it was uh, flights in a in an aircraft, right, a DA twenty. So I went to Pueblo, Colorado, and 
learned how to fly uh, an actual airplane. Uh, the The second portion of the training was uh, simulated. It was uh, it was all in a, a T six uh, you know, simulator where you work on uh, instrument flight rules. And then after that, the Air Force and the Marine Corps kind of went went their separate ways. Uh, they they continue on in the pipeline where they learn how to fly uh, MQ nine Reapers or uh, you know other aircraft. Where whereas we we had our own training within the Marine Corps, so uh, definitely wasn't like playing a video game. Uh, <laughs> it was it was uh, you know it was as close to the manned aviation training as as they can make it. So I think they they lay a good foundation for for becoming an aviator. What I'm, I'm trying to understand drones. I always assume like whenever I see like the video, you see it up in the air, but like you, I never took into account that you actually have to fly it like a real plane, except you're not in the cockpit. What is it? What's the procedures for takeoff? Like where is this drone station? And you're, when you, when you say remote, you're like thousands of thousands of miles away from it. So is there like a crew that says, okay, we're going to push your drone out to the field. You're ready to go. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so the Air Force, uh, particularly the model I think you're referring to, uh, they have crews that are forward deployed that do all the maintenance and the fueling and arming of the airplanes, and then they they will take them off, uh, just like you would a normal airplane. You know, rolling down the runway, it takes off. the the control uh, The crew flies it to a specific point, and then they will hand off the controls back to stateside, where the rest of the mission is flown. Uh, when the mission is over, they hand it back off again, and that uh, that forward crew lands the airplane. Okay, that makes a heck of a lot of sense because I just could not visualize how you get it up and over, and and the the transfer of controls and the arming and and everything that goes along with it. What are the was it like flying it? I mean, with the weather and everything else, you're not there in the cockpit, but you have to understand what's going to affect its trajectory. That's one of the biggest challenges is uh, is staying out in front of the weather. Obviously, you know you can't look outside the cockpit and see what the weather's like. Uh, you do have a camera uh, on board. Uh, most of the cameras are designed to look down at the ground, as you would imagine. So, scanning the horizon, looking for clouds, you know, staying on top of uh, weather reports and forecasts and things like that. Um, my squadron had had some pretty significant issues of uh, flying drones, uh, and we didn't fly the large ones like the Air Force, but we we flew ones that could fly, you know, seventy kilometers away, and you could extend that by handing off to another station out there. So we could fly one hundred and forty kilometers away from the uh, the airfield where we took off, uh, and when you're flying in you know in the Pacific area, uh, as we were. Uh, there's a lot of weather situations that pop up and change rapidly. So we we had a few op- uh, a few missions where we couldn't get back in time before the thing was completely doused and uh, you know water intruded into the engine and shorted out the the drone and sometimes we crashed. So yeah. sometimes you crash. Sometimes I get to just imagine you're like, oh, that's gonna go on my OER. Uh, that's not a good one. <laughs> and so no. What's the selection like for like, let's say, so I'm an 18, 19 year old kid. I, I graduate. Are, we, are they enlisted officer ranks and psychological assessments? And is it, 
ASVAB score has got to be through the roof or is it just, I'd like to know about the selection process. That's a, that's a great question, Jason. The, um, uh, so there's both officer and enlisted involved in uh, in drone operations. So your your officers are are the pilots, uh, and your enlisted uh, ranks are the the sensor operators. And then you have both officer and enlisted that serve as intelligence analysts uh, for the mission. Um, and they work; they all work together as a crew. Uh, the screening is uh, is is like you would expect it to be for aviation. Uh, occupations so you've got to have a pretty high uh, pretty high score pretty high aptitude uh, and then there's there's a little bit of uh, screening that occurs during uh, the actual training pipeline uh, usually in the second phase they start to have discussions about uh, you know the taking of human life and whether that's something that uh, people uh, are, are comfortable with doing uh, and if not that sometimes they can be moved into a different platform that's uh, that's not armed. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the the killing with a drone, and you know you do reference on killing a lot. And uh, if anybody has not read on killing, please do. It's a great book. But you know, taking another human life, but this time you're doing it remotely, and it, regardless of branch, whether you're a trained Marine, uh, trained Air Force, trained any branch, taking another life, um, as you say, shouldn't be something that uh should be normal so let's talk about that what, what's that like like when you when you're with your when your subordinates or you as a commander or you yourself have to take a life remotely and then dealing with that uh, is there psychological help available or is it just one of those hey you know what deal with it and we'll deal with it later on so it depends on the service the air force has actually done a really good job of embedding uh what they call a human performance team uh, with the squadrons, and that you know includes uh, a licensed counselor, uh, you know, a mental health professional, uh, a medical professional, uh, a chaplain, uh, and things like that. To and they all have clearances so that you can talk about details of the mission, um, you know, in, in vivid detail if you want to with uh, with this team that's there to help. Uh, but I would say that one of the biggest misconceptions about um, you know, remotely piloted aircraft and and combat operations uh, for those crews is that they're completely uh, disengaged from combat because they're physically removed from the battlefield. Uh, and and what I found through you know interviews and research and discussions was that they might physically be removed, you know, seven thousand miles away from the battlefield, but cognitively they're they're a lot closer than some of the other folks that we have that might even be forward deployed. And that's because of, you know, the persistent nature of the platforms that allows us to uh, to be over a target for a long period of time. And you couple that with the, you know, high definition of the cameras where you can mm-hmm. zoom in and you can see these just, you know, crazy details of somebody. So uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of missions are, are pattern of life missions where you're watching the same target, you're building a pattern of life of, of what this target is actually, you know, doing uh, and looking for things that are abnormal or looking for the right time to strike that target when it's, you know, free of collateral damage and things like that. So, so crews are really developing this kind of one-sided intimacy and knowledge of this target before they're striking them. Yeah. I was just thinking about the intimate. It's like, let, let's say you're watching a YouTube video and you're getting very intimate with these people. You're watching over hours and hours and hours. And then you got to 
launch and kill them essentially what is i mean i can't imagine like is it is it like where you have a joystick and you you launch it off is it a switch i i'm i'm really kind of i have no idea and that's one of the things i'm always wondering what it's like to be you know i see the hollywood uh depictions of it where they're in like a uh a conics box and they're sitting in a pilot's chair and they're flying it like a pilot and they're launching like a a missile like a pilot what is it like what's the launch uh sequence obviously minus any sure. uh, technical information yeah so the the crew coordinates together so you'll you'll have the sensor operator who's putting the uh, crosshairs on the target and then lasing the target or you could you could be uh, you know the laser could come from somewhere else uh, right so the laser energy and the pulse repetition frequency the specific uh, basically sequence of lasers uh, is on the missile itself so the missile seeker is looking for that uh, that that PRF on the target uh, once you're cleared and you're within the right basket where the laser uh, is able to be seen by the, the, the missile head it's, or the missile seeker itself, uh, and you get cleared from uh, the ground uh, combat controller, whether it's a, a JTAC or you know, somebody that's uh, responsible for that battle space, when they clear you hot to strike the target, uh, then the pilot moves the aircraft in, uh, basically makes his run in, uh, he gets cleared hot. He launches the the missile, or he or she launches the missile. The sensor operator at that point keeps the laser uh, on the target, right? So they can move move where the missile is going to go based off where the laser is. Um, at the at the last second, if you know something happens, if there's somebody that moves close to the target, uh, they can they can always dump the missile to a different location, you know, a safe location they've they've predetermined ahead of time. You know, one thing I do want to backtrack to is you, you talk about the counselors, the chaplains, the people that are available to that. This is the first time I actually thought about this. Like, you know, one of my friends, his wife th- did that for the military. She deployed with certain combat units. And I'm thinking if we had access as soldiers, uh, sailors, service members, Marines to psychological help while we're in like these performance coaches slash uh, counselors, it may be easier when you get out of the service to seek help as well. That might be one of the ways to, you know, integrate this within not just the, the CONUS based, but definitely for deployed while you were deployed. Did you have that type of uh, access when you're in the Marines? Not really in the Marine Corps. No, no, the uh, air force is the the furthest along in <laughs> implementing that. But uh that was uh, that was not included in the Marine Corps. I mean, there might have been a chaplain, you know, somewhere on a base yeah, exactly. where you can go talk to. But yeah, definitely not a psychologist embedded, you know, in your squadron or battalion. That is definitely a food to think about later on in the future for for <laughs> yeah. forces. So the book, why did the? I mean, obviously, you want you have a legacy. You've been involved with the drone program. You've been a pilot. You've been there. Um, how did you come across saying, Hey, you know what? One day I'm going to be like, I'm going to write a book. It's not easy to write a book. We know that. Uh, where did the concept come from and the clearance to get it done? So, uh, you've mentioned on killing a couple of times. Um, I read on killing as a second Lieutenant. Um, it was kind of formative in my, my early years and thinking about the human response to killing and, um, 
you know, how I would respond to it and things like that. And uh, particularly for those that, that I led uh, throughout my time in the Marine Corps. Um, when I got to the end of my career, I started thinking about it again. And I actually reached out to Dave Grossman and I said, you know, I want to write a book and I want to call it on killing remotely. Uh, I want it to be a natural extension of on killing uh, through the lens of drone crews, right? Because there's so many unique challenges with, uh, with drone crews. And, and you wrote on killing before this was even a way that we fought. And, uh, and Grossman said, man, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Uh, and then he came back and said, you, you know, you do the majority of the work and, <laughs> and, and uh, I'll guide you through the process. And uh, I was happy to have him as a mentor through this. I mean, he was, uh, you know, just phenomenal to, uh, to have access to somebody like that that's you know published multiple books and is a subject matter expert on the topic and um, I, I you know initially said okay you you said yes now what's the next step and, and he said go and do as much research as you can do as much uh, a review of the literature that's out there and see what's uh, what people have said about this topic and then talk to as many people as you can that have experienced this firsthand said, you can never conduct enough first person interviews. So that's what I did. I conducted my own survey, uh, interviewed over 50 people that have had experience with this and uh, uh, to include some of my own Marines uh, that I forward deployed uh, to do this kind of work. So um, that's what inspired me to do it. Yeah, this is next up on my non. I like to keep. I always tell people I keep a book, an audio book going, I keep a fiction book going, and a nonfiction book. This is my next nonfiction up on my reading list. I wish I could have read it before the interview, but I've just been reading this awesome book about nine eleven by Toby Harnden, and uh, he does talk about Grossman in there, and it just you know, there's so much that we've learned over the past twenty years, and so much we need to learn more of, and we need books, we need bona fide books. And I like the fact that you did research. I like when people get interviewed, not just at the, the senior levels, but throughout the spectrum of whoever's involved with these, these uh, operations. So I'm looking forward to it. And it's out now on remote killing, on killing remotely, the psychology of killing with drones by Lieutenant Colonel Wayne Phelps. It's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Now, what is next up for you? Are you going to write another book? I'm trying my hand at uh, fiction. Oh yeah, <laughs> kind of a futuristic uh, drone pilot, uh, you know, novel. Um, I've got a few other ideas for nonfiction, but uh, we'll see if I can write fiction first. I think it's gonna be fiction is awesome, man. I uh, like I've had so many awesome fiction authors on here. I'm eventually gonna write a fiction book, and I really, I'm looking forward to it. Is it gonna be along the uh, the drone routes? Or are you gonna kind of? What are we looking at here? Yeah, it, it'll definitely be, uh, it'll be based around a drone pilot set in the future, uh, you know, advanced, advanced capabilities and technologies and things like that. And um, <clears throat> I'm actually, I've started writing and I'm about seven chapters into it so far. So very cool. I'm looking forward to it. Wayne, I really appreciate you coming on the show and you are always welcome on a protectors book club and everybody please check out on killing remotely, the psychology of killing with drones and it's out Buy it. Great. Thanks for having me on Jason. I appreciate it. Thanks Wayne.